you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosansky. Today's guest is writer, artist, and friend John Matta. I thought I'd be talking with John about his experiences writing for Jamie Kennedy, Andy Dick, Martin Short, or Brad Garrett, but like any great improv scene, things didn't go in that direction. Instead, we talked about the journey John was on while his wife and my dear friend Rose Abdu was going through her experience with cancer. This moving episode will inspire you and remind you how great it is to have supportive and loving people in your life and how you never know where these challenges will take you. For example, have you seen John's Mata napkins? They're online and come Christmas, they'll be in a book. This is one hell of a moving episode. I'll talk to you on the other side. Are you the adult right. you think you would be as a kid? I changed the way that I thought I was going to be an adult when I decided I don't want to be an adult. So things like uh, if I want to have breakfast for dinner, mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. If I want to stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to do that. Okay. You know, that's my deal with me. Um, are you? Uh, I think I might be. You, you might be. I think I might be. When I got out of college, mm -hmm. my dad took me for a walk and he said, so uh, what are you going to do? Right. And I said, yeah, I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. He goes, do you have a resume? I said, nope. He says, you moving home? I said, no. He says, well, what do you want to do? And all I could think of was, I said, I, I just want to laugh. Right. And he stared at me for the <laughs> longest time. <laughs> this is just after he paid for college. Right. And he just looked at me and he went, all right, we'll figure it out. Right. Okay, you had one of those Whose parents. dad would do, do that? Right. My dad was a teacher. He didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about show. I didn't know you could get into show business mm -hmm. or do any of this stuff. There was nothing like this in New Jersey. My mother, when I told her I might want to write or do something like that or what I did stand-up for years, she asked me, can you make money doing that? And I went, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. She said, because I always assume people like Rich Little had a day job. <laughs> I, yeah they might so maybe i'm gonna be that guy with a day job or something like that right 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 well i think about the idea of, of having a day job again and that just i just can't take it i can't take that idea of day jobbing it um but i do know that if i needed to i would but you did have a day job you've had a day job i've been very lucky living here uh since i've been here I've been doing comedy for almost 25 years mm -hmm. now. So when I first moved to Los Angeles, it's odd. The first day I moved here, our friend Susie Nakamura and Teresa Mulligan moved here the same day. Uh, definitely Susie. Oh, really? Uh, How do you know they moved the same day? You just figured it out later? I, no, they. you know when you first get here, and I think that's changed a little bit, when you first moved here, people were more excited when you got here. Right. And they congratulated you. Because I don't think comedy was as competitive then. There definitely weren't comedy nerds like there are now. Mm -hmm. When we were kids, I feel, like uh, shows that I loved, not everybody watched. Not everybody stayed up late at night watching SCTV. Right. Not everybody stayed up and watched Fernwood Tonight. Right. That was the first show I remember watching with my mom and watching her. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But yeah. none of your friends did that. You had maybe one other friend. But the thing is, that became your nerd friend. That became your inspiring person that you, yeah. that you went with. 
but none of them ever made it out. It was funny to decide like that was the. I didn't know how I wanted to be involved in this, and then when I was living in Jersey, I remember reading an article about Todd Glass. I didn't know you could just do things in life. Right. You can just do it. As well, an adult now, I kind of get it now. Just you, do it. Was it anybody's responsibility to say do it? You know what I mean? I mean, for me, I feel like that's part of the journey is you discovering that you can do it. But you're the type of guy who has enabled a lot of other people to do it. Right, but because I, real, I looked at other people and went, they're fucking doing it. But that was a major thing about coming out here too, was is the idea of, uh, a major thing about coming out here was, fuck it, I might as well come out. Going, be, link, growing up in Chicago and going to main stage, watching the show on main stage and going, how the fuck do you get up there? Yeah. See, we didn't have that in Jersey, right. really. I mean, there were no comedy clubs. Mm -hmm. There, You kind of could listen to radio people. Like, uh, closest uh, any show business relationship my family had was the neighbors knew a guy who knew Charles McCord from the IMA show. That's the closest <laughs> we had to anything in show business. So there was nothing ever to kind of see. But, you know, I'd always stay up every night when, you know, whether it was Rickles or Bob Euchre or so many guys on The Tonight Show, Bob Newhart, or yeah, my family, too, were not big we didn't have albums or anything. Oh, you didn't do the album. We thing? weren't a well. We weren't a musical family. Uh -huh. Like all my friends make fun of me of uh, that music plays no part in my life. None at all. Very little. That's so interesting. I cannot. But TV plays a large part in your life. Yeah, movies and right. and and. So uh, you'll wake reading. up in the morning and you won't put the you'll never put the radio on. You'll never put any music on. No. But you'll put the TV on. No, I won't turn on the TV either. You won't. Not just to have noise. Does. Rose, Rose Abdu, your wife, does she have music in her life? <laughs> she has music in my life when I'm not home. Mm -hmm. So when I come home, I drive her nuts because um, I, I usually work out of the ha home a lot. So it's you guys have an office? And yeah, yeah, downstairs, mm -hmm. uh, 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 just a little area for me. She's got one upstairs. It's a, we, li we live in a little, a gorgeous town called Glendale. Uh, uh, anyway, Rose, uh, when I come home and uh, she's doing stuff, music is blaring and I've never seen her happier. <laughs> so, I don't know whether she feels, uh, because it's our home together. Right. You know, so it's just something, I don't know why. I mean, I really enjoy it. My friends that are musicians, it's just a language that I can't speak. Mm -hmm. uh, I tried to take a piano class. This is one of the worst things that I've As ever, an adult, you're trying to take piano In college. Mm -hmm. I uh, had to take it, uh, went to class every single day, stayed after every single day. It was not a language. I could, my fingers just wouldn't move. I couldn't understand it. I was failing the class. It got time to do the final. I knew I wasn't going to pass it, and I would be in danger of graduation. So what I ended up doing was I made a cast out of paper mache with newspaper and remember the white stuff that you used to put on sneakers to make them whiter? Mm -hmm. So it was almost three feet across. That's how big it was. And I had trouble lifting it up. So I go to take the final. It was a one-on-one -on -one with the teacher. And this teacher knew how hard I was trying. And it was breaking her heart that I just couldn't get it in my head. So I show up with this cast that I can barely lift up. That you created yourself. I created myself 
by uh, <laughs> by the old timey Maj Paj with just water and newspaper. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah, horrible yeah, looking. Yeah, yeah, you could yeah. still see with the white that I did. You could probably still read the headlines and the horoscopes <laughs> and the obituaries. <laughs> but I whited it up where uh, I had to change pants because I mistakenly touched, and I just didn't figure out the timing either. So I show up, this woman sees his Who would open. help you with the timing for that? I mean, there's no... You, that's what Someone just would have said, hey, you should do this an hour before. <laughs> <laughs> I had maybe 14 minutes. But, but you, you... What gets me, because I've, I've heard this story before. But then I fucking, show up, right. the woman breaks down in tears and starts crying. She feels so bad for me. I, uh, I start crying, but not for the same reason. I'm crying because I'm thinking, what have I done to this poor woman who cares about me so much more than I obviously care about myself. Oh, my God. Uh, so then I left after the class. She ended up giving me the lowest grade I could get to pass. But she... A C, oh. like a C minus or something like that. And uh, I just remember sitting outside <laughs> with... Uh, 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 there were just... I remember a bunch of fish in like a koi pond and sitting by it and weeping even more and then... Then dawning on me, wow, this is really tightening up on my hand. <laughs> I, I got to get this off me. Uh, and it took about four hours to get off me. How did you come up with the idea? Like, did you, were you in bed, staying up late, like going, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? And then you went, oh, I got it, broken arm. Yeah, cast. How did you pick the arm? It seemed the easiest. Which one? Left. Because then if it was You're my right-handed. Uh, no, I'm left-handed. You're left-handed. Yeah, but here's the thing, too. If I did a leg or something like that, I could still... Right, of course. I had to, I had to disable... The question was really, which arm? And, and I really should have done the right, because I'm left-handed. But if you're left-handed, you really are handicapping yourself to... Left-handed was the only choice, really. Because right-handed, it was just your right hand. You could probably do some... Or you could play the, the lower notes of some... You could play the lower notes. It was the most thought-out, least thought-out plan that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> what is... Oh, my God. So I felt so horrible. But, so, when, but when we lie, like as... One of the things about... I think when we when we lie in those situations, it's just we don't think it we don't think it through or we think it through temporarily or uh, I, I know when I was um, your twenties do you ever think of anything really in your twenties do you ever think of anything like like the ramifications of anything yeah, about eleven more beers yeah man right. right everything seems like a good idea you're very you just want to. In That's what, what I loved about comedy, too, was just finding another group of people that I just love being around and right. laughing all the time. And having the sensibility that you have yeah. as well. So and they're I, doing all the weird things that you did. Mm -hmm. You know, with, at least with stand-up, it was more guys writing in notebooks and stuff. Right. So you met these guys that had these notebooks of weird ideas that they've been writing down. You're going, did, you, did you do stand-up? Yeah, for 10 years. You did stand-up for 10 years. And then when I moved here, I got here, then I just... I saw people, like when you see Dana Gould live mm -hmm. or you see Karen Kilgariff, Mary Lynn, I remember seeing Beer Shark Mice for the first time. I'd never really seen improv that All we saw was bad improv back That's east. It was always uh, mixed nuts. Right. And then, or just hard. I, they were very nice people, but it just wasn't anything like that. Chicago, everything just seemed so far away and unobtainable to me. When, what do you mean by that? I, it didn't seem to me that I could just... I went to Philly. It seemed 
a very easy town to be in, mm-hmm. and it was kind of close. Jersey's an odd place because I think they're very intimidated by New York. You're an hour and a half driving, right? but you're literally 40 light years. So when you'd hear things like Springsteen talk, you know, when I was working in the factory, or, you know, or John Bon Jovi, all those guys, that you had two choices. You either got in a band or you... Or you got on a bus and in 40 minutes you're in Manhattan. <laughs> it's not like you were growing up in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. No, no, it's not like you're in North Dakota. But or they're something. very intim- Jersey's very intimidated by New York. Philly's a was a fun place to start. It's, it's not Philly a great like the town. cousin. It's Philly like a fun cousin to Jersey. You know, there's a New Jersey. Yeah. Jersey's a, Jersey is a family member. New York. What's New? The difference between New York and Philly. Uh. An uncle who might get into a fight is Philly. Right. Uh, New York, someone a little bit classier, Upper West Side person. <laughs> Philly guys, it it it's a very strange place too to start off with comedy. The guys that the guys that went to Chicago, uh, Adam McKay and another guy by the name of Rick Roman left at the same time. Rick Roman, I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and McKay is just the funniest guy on the planet. Yep. Uh, you can never argue with it. He was back then. Uh, and also brilliant. Yeah. Like the way that his mind works. Nobody was faster. Right. He would just uh, sometimes just maybe walk up to a stage, just throwing chairs, and then get in the audience to say super duper with him, <laughs> and then threaten a guy in the front row. Old school. He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He was just so much, uh, he was the greatest. But he just picked up and went to Chicago, and then I stayed in Philly, then I tried San Francisco for a year, and it just didn't work out for me where you, when you move to a new town, traditionally you have to kind of hang out for a year. Right. And I just wanted to keep working and I was doing okay in Philly. Uh, but it's not a town that really loves comedy. Uh, it do, I think it's changed a lot more. Well, comedy has changed so much. Yeah. I mean, so much. And it's what you're saying about um, uh, the competitiveness. I also feel though, and I don't know because I've been here 20 years, but you know what, when we came, I came in, I, I got here and was embraced immediately yeah. by all these Second City people yeah. and these Chicago people. Mm-hmm. And there's still even Chicago people that I just know that didn't do the comedy routine, like Paul Strolley and those kind of guys who didn't necessarily do the comedy bit that I did, but they did something else. And when you land, I landed, I landed when I when I drove my car here, I got here and uh, I... <laughs> It was, it was January 15th. I had left Chicago uh, January 8th, driving the car, taking my time to come out here. Uh, my last show was January 4th. I was playing to 400 people, 300 people on main stage. I come here, I go to, uh, I go, I go to Santa Monica where there's uh, Jane, uh, Jane Morris and, uh, and, and Jeff Michalski and George Went and yeah. all those guys are there and we're playing for 15 people and everybody's going, wow, I've got a good crowd tonight. And you're going, what the <laughs> fuck? But, you know, but it, it was this feeling of everybody's going to be okay. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering what it is like to come here now. And when you say you went to San Francisco, my first thought is, who the fuck do you know in San Francisco? And then who's a mentor there that's going to help you get around? Stand-up's not the same as... It's, it's a very solitary kind of thing. It's by recommendations, and probably deep down I didn't want to succeed there. You know, now that I look back at it, and then I kind of... Um, you, how do you do that? How do you go? Well, do you say, because I don't know how anybody goes, if you say I don't want, your heart wasn't into it. It wasn't, yeah, in, your I think heart you, wasn't into it. 
generally have the career and the life that you want, whether you like it or not. That's exactly, it's the, you have the life that you want, whether you like it or not. And that's a huge thing too. It's horrible. Or because it's, now, you, now you have to take responsibility for yourself. <laughs> it's the worst. It's so much easier, this unseen thing or this one person screwing you over and it always kind of comes back to you. Unless something really horrible happens, like a physical thing right. that kind of happens. There's odd things. That, of course there's luck in it. Of course very few people have the career that they want. But even your friends that have the bigger or crazier career don't have the career they want. Nobody has the career they want. Like we just saw that Welcome to Me, the Sheer Piven one. Uh, Rose was in it oh, briefly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see whatever she does too. Shira. Yeah, Shira. Yeah. She was, I, I don't know her. Mm-hmm. I've met her uh, once or twice really Adam quick. Or it was just a wave. Right. And she always went out of her way to be kind to me just because I knew her husband years ago. Right. Um, but you're going, why, why isn't she directing more movies? Why isn't she on the list right away? But you don't know that she's not doing what it is that she wants to do. Of course. I'm just talking as a consumer. Got it. I would like to see uh, three more things by her right. immediately. Right. <laughs> you know, so you're just, I, I still, that's the other thing. I'm still never tired of funny stuff. I, I totally agree, and I'm also never tired of funny stuff done by people that I'd really like to watch. Yeah. Um, and nothing makes me happier than, and this is something that we get to, nothing makes me happier than the success of my friends who I, nothing makes me happier than the success of my friends. Yeah. And nothing makes me happier than the success of my friends where I know they had a fucking blast doing what yeah. it is that they're doing. I don't need to be a part of it. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need to be a part of it. I don't need to be, um, I don't even want to be, I, not that I don't want to be a part of it. I don't think about it anymore. No. I don't think, like, why haven't I been included in that thing? Their success isn't, uh, hasn't knocked you down three pegs. Never, but nobody's ever. success ever knocks us down three pegs. No. It's not their deal. It's journey or however you want to get into it. You just figure out, oh, this isn't, I think what everybody wants is, hey, what's my thing? They want to I discover, I just want to figure hey, out for me, hey, what's my, what, what, what am I doing? It's got nothing to do with anybody else. Just what do I, I'd like to, I would like my thing to come. Or also, on the end of comedy, part of it would be, if you're putting that much pressure, I wouldn't mind being tapped out at some point, where someone just taps you on the shoulder and just says, hey, you're done. You had a good run. It's been 25 years. You're all done. <laughs> really? Um, all right. Well, I guess I'll do. That's why date. I I'm caring less about silly stuff. Like uh, you're uh, saying, hey, gotta get a day job. Cool. Right. That's the way I look at I it. I prefer too. not to. Right. I prefer to continue living the life of a big child who does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. I gotta say, John, like the life that we. When I say we, I. I, I all of us. Know, all, but I, when I think of all of us, I want to. I want to. I want to define what all of us is for the listeners. It's like we've got this core group of people called the core, and and I look at everybody and I go, we just laugh, we just laugh, and we support each other. Yeah. And I may not know what you're doing today, and every once in a while, when now it's it's very often when uh when in in the news feed the 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 news feed and it comes up that Rose is doing that show, or you're, you're, Rose is doing that show, Rose is doing that show, and I go, oh my god, I couldn't fucking be happier. <laughs> I couldn't be happier for all that, and we're all living that life of a yeah. child, and we're all playing that game that. That um, uh, I forgot what event it was when we were over at Nia and Ian Gomez's house, where it was you put 
hose over your head, like pantyhose, and oh, the pantyhose are. Wasn't it a Japanese it a, game or yeah, something? Yeah, that every that three that it, and it's three three legs of pantyhose, and you pull it over your head. Did and you, then it becomes tug of war. It becomes tug of war, and you, and you don't want it to pop off your head. Yeah. I think. What a did you play that game? Yeah. What a ridiculous country. Uh, but it's also <laughs> look at I look at that and I think. Okay, I'm. I think at that time I might have been 43, 44, yeah. 46, and to think, did my dad do that at forty six? I'm going to say no. Well, it matters if they're drinking. <laughs> it's hard to tell. I think I would have done that even if I weren't drinking. I think that I would have done that if they went. You know, it doesn't matter whether we were drinking or not. We would still be doing it. Yes, it's a it's a group of. Listen, everyone that I kind of know here who I like is are some of the most fun people on the planet. And that's what I like best about living here and the kind of group of people we hang out with. The other reason with my friends why I know how hard they've worked for the things that they've gotten. Uh, and often when I hear people complaining, it's more of, are you willing to do what they've done? You forget that you guys have been doing this 25 years, how many shows you've been put out in. here 20 years? Yeah, for how much work that you put in. I did stand up 10 years before I moved here. And my thing, too, when I got here, I just made it change where I just stopped and went, I don't think I can compete like this. And I don't have the skill set to do stand, stand up mm-hmm. or to be on stage. Mm-hmm. I really can't act at all. And I think just because I respect acting that much, I can say that easily. Is it can't or don't want to? No, I don't have the skill set. I had the skill set to be the loud guy mm-hmm. for about 14 seconds. I can do something quick. That's not acting. But my question is different. My question is, is it something that you... It seems like you evolve into not that I can't do it, but I don't want to do it. Well, I'm not Michael... You, there's certain things where you have to be realistic and going, what do, what do I love more and what would I be better at? Mm-hmm. I, whenever I see writers or other people who aren't actors acting in something and they're just doing it. Right. I always feel that there's an actor somewhere who's about who's starting to pack up his his Honda Accord <laughs> and he's moving back to wherever he came from by going, I just can't get a break. Right. And we all know that you need at least two or three things a year to kind of from sweet lady show business <laughs> has to give you a hug occasionally. Right. Uh, a hand just, job. Or just say <laughs> You know you're not horrible. Right. That's kind of all you need. You just can't. I, I have a lot of friends that are unbelievably talented, and they're coming up on 10 or 15 years where you're going, boy, this poor guy hasn't gotten a break, where you just kind of need to show up on a TV show or, or just something. What is the reason, John? Because I think when you go, this guy kind of needs a break, isn't it also pot? For me, I feel like you're not supposed to be doing that. That's not what you're here to do. If you, if I feel like you can't get a break, uh, I'm not blaming you. Yeah. I'm just saying you're hitting something that you're you're expecting. You're you're entering into something that you're you're wanting something that doesn't want you. Uh huh. Um, but there's also something that does want you. And earlier you said, you know, just to know what it is that we're here for, or what's the yeah. reason that we're here, and just to know that. Yeah. And that that goes along the lines of saying. You know, uh, uh, we're all doing the career that we're doing because something kept encouraging us to do that. I'm not doing auditions because I feel like it it started with 
with, oh my God, I'm not doing this. Oh my God, I'm horrible. And we all go through that. Yeah. It's like, I'm not horrible. Then I realized, you know what? I don't want to do that. And the moment that you say, I don't want to do that, then you get to ask yourself the next question, which is, what is it that I want? What is yeah. it that I want to do? Or what is it that I am doing? Mm -hmm. And mostly, and, and it's probably, what is it that I'm already doing? Yeah. And for you, what you're already doing is you're already writing. Yeah. Well, I think there are plenty of people that I thought had, you are not good at comedy. And they've been rewarded quite a bit right now. I know a couple people like that. So for anybody, I've just always, for as far back as like when I was doing stand-up, you've heard of open mic nights. Yeah, right. So you end up hosting the open mic night, and you can bring up to 40, 50 people on a night. Our deal always with my friends was you never wanted to be the guy if you're hosting to not make somebody come back. It's easy to slam somebody when they come off stage sweating and crying because it's horrible. Open mic nights are a horrible thing. So the same thing with this. You never wanted to be the guy to not encourage people to do stuff. I just don't think you ever know when you're going to land. Right. So I know for some people, just the fact that you've been doing it for 15 years and you still love doing it, that's success. That's enough. That's exactly that's it. That's enough. It right. would be nice if, if you could figure out how how whatever the business is can figure out a way to help you eat weekly. Right. You know? Well, I think that I, I look at what I'm doing and I go, oh, okay, I figured it out. I figured yeah. out I love teaching, I love traveling, I love acting, I love eating. <laughs> um, and well, my, that's the, where the other stuff comes when you're not looking for it. Exactly. Because you're just doing your own thing and at some point, the same thing where you're going to get tapped on the shoulder and go, hey, you want to do this? Right. I was never even thinking of doing that. Right. And that's kind of what I just try to do is I've always just kind of done my own thing. Mm -hmm. like even when I, I've really never had, I've never had really good, probably because I wasn't the right client. Where agents, managers and that stuff, I've just never connected with the right person or it wasn't the right time for me to be with them or them to be with me. And what about now? No, nobody. Right. So, but I've been pretty lucky that I've been able to figure out things to do or people kind of want me. Right. Uh, some, a lot of it just comes from, you know, whatever your big, if someone's going to call you for acting, if they don't know what you already do, trying to get it through an audition is impossible. That's so true. You and know? so what you're, So yes. it's more of a shorthand. It's you're gonna hear from one of your guys that are, that's making some, Dave, you wanna do this. Right. You know. I mean, that's the interesting thing of watching my gorgeous wife, little Rose Abdu, do stuff. I've never seen anyone prepare more than she does. Uh, from reading the whole script to picking the jewelry and the costume of the character. For the audition. For the audition. When she goes in audition, she'll often... The weird thing is she'll go in character if it's a character kind of piece. Not, uh, not crazy kind of acting in the parking lot yelling at the guys in character but when she comes in she nods and gets right to it so at the end particularly if it's uh, someone with a different dialect or whatever it is at the end she'll use her own voice and go thank you right. and then they go what what you you don't you're not that person so she takes it really seriously and works hard at it but she it. also loves it 
She, I think, I could be wrong. Yeah. Doesn't she love the opportunity to dress up for it? She doesn't see that as being, oh my God, I have another audition. I hope I make it. But it's, it's, it's like, I can see Rose, um, I can see her going, oh, okay, I'm playing this. I have this outfit. I can wear mm -hmm. that thing. I bought that thing and I could do yeah. that. So it's all part of the, I'm going to use this word. It's probably the wrong word. It's all part of the fun of doing it or the, the, yes. the professionalism of doing it. I think like most people here, the most fun of show business getting the job often the least fun is doing the job. Right, right. <laughs> so you, you've worked all this hard to get it, and then uh, then it just, it's it's hard, particularly to supporting, you know, our friends that are mostly character actors. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world. Right. People just don't understand that um, you have to show up, whatever your lines are, you have to know them all cold. Because whoever the lead is, they might not know anything, but you're there to keep the thing moving. Nobody, when you show up, it, I've seen it with my own eyes, nobody really wants to talk to you until after the first take. Because <laughs> they're not sure. You can nobody still be fine. Nobody wants to talk to you until They don't even the make take. eye contact I've seen with some character or stuff that I've done that I've known. And that's why I always, anytime I've been lucky enough to be in a room with other actors or I'm working on something, even auditions, to make sure you thank people for coming in and thank them. Listen, you want them to be the answer to your problem right. when they come in. Right. And sometimes it just doesn't hit, but it doesn't mean you should not treat actors or human beings with the respect that they deserve and go, hey, thanks for coming in. I think that that's a huge thing because if you go into these auditions saying, um, they're not going to like me or um, uh, another fucking audition or I just didn't like this, it's like you're bringing your negative bullshit into they it. They feel it. No one's that good of an actor. But I also feel that that... <laughs> I know that. But that's the way people live their lives. Like those Eeyores that are coming into audition yeah. are the same Eeyores that you don't... When they come to a party, you go, why the fuck was he invited? <laughs> You know what I mean? They're the same people. Yeah. And I got to say also that you go, okay, most of our friends are character actors, but most of our friends are characters. Yeah. You know, like to look at that and to say they're unabashedly living their life full throttle with, with, the, with the fucking taps open, yep. full blast. And you're, you know, I would never be surprised to hear that any of my friends have done something quite wonderful because they are living that life. Yeah. So when they enter a room, you know, I, again, going through all the people that we know, I look at, you know, when I think back on, on any of the Thanksgiving parties that we've had or any of those parties and, and looking at each one of those people, they're interesting, they're interested, they ask you questions, they're human beings mm -hmm. treating you like a fellow human being. Yeah. And I don't know, it's those people that, that well, if somebody comes to one of these parties uh, and, you know, we've had been to a couple parties of, where, where, where like uh, an A-list celebrity or another celebrity would come in and at first I feel like, oh, they're being so cold. But what they're doing is they, it's tough to come into our group. Yeah. Well, also, you always hear that with Steve Martin. He's very quiet when you first meet him. Yeah, most people are. <laughs> you know who isn't? Lunatics. Uh, who just come in and chat. And that's, again, our, our friends usually come into a room just chatting with everybody. Yep. You know, I, it's just more fun to be around. I believe it's a lot of the, I think Chicago is just a really special place. Mm -hmm. I th my feeling is a lot of people, I think, moved to Chicago to be in Second City, weren't thinking of, I got to get this two characters so I can get on Mad TV. Right. It seems like Chicago people just wanted to be good at comedy. Right. And then at some point you moved out here, but all the Chicago people are still really good pals. 
I think it's also which really, I think is really nice. Uh, you don't see that with other groups. Of but towns. maybe that's what you learn in Chicago: mm-hmm. is you learn the family, the you, you learn yeah. the, the, the skill of of getting along with people. You that's the skill that you learn. You may not learn the skill of a particular character, but you learn the skill of being like mm-hmm. of being of, of being a friend with somebody, being supportive with somebody. Well, do you think they prepared you for? I've heard Rose tell stories of Joyce Sloan now, mm-hmm. where they just Joyce hired the executive producer of, sec, of and she picked everybody almost. Didn't yeah, she, she did. Wanna... She picked she picked people and she she it's amazing. had people fired too. I mean, I've heard the stories of where she'd bump someone to main stage and everybody would lose their mind. Yep. And then she said, "It's not the post office." That's what you say. This isn't the post office. And if you learn that in Chicago, then and I think probably a lot of people didn't really get it right then. That's the best lesson that you could learn. It's show business isn't fair. It's not show business isn't your parents. Right. It doesn't give you a hug. It gives you money occasionally. Right. That's about it. And and what it what it also does is it and this is another thing going back to what Joyce is it. It gives you a paycheck every once in a while, but it also gives you, I'm going to go back to this, it's probably the third time this has come up, it gives you a reason to keep going. It gives you a reason to say, oh, I am on, to answer the question, what am I doing here? What am I here for? And every once in a while I'll say, well, here's an aspect of what you're here for. You're here to play that part, or you're here to be part of that ensemble. That's one of the reasons that you're here. So when Joyce would take somebody and put them on main stage, I want, you know, I would love to say, I would love to take a look at what what that list is of people that were lifted up on that. I mean, I know for a fact one of them was Chris Farley, where mm-hmm. you go, Chris Farley didn't, I, you know, he toured maybe for a second, and I think I directed him in the touring company, but he toured for a second and suddenly, bam, Dell wants to put him in on main stage. And, wow. and at that time, it's easy to go, no, oh, that's Chris Farley, but at that time you went, fucking drunk bum fucking you know <laughs> motherfucking drunk and like why him and then once you got to know him and once you got to watch him you go of course yeah. him you do meet a couple people that don't uh, for one of the guys that I was in Philadelphia the guys that I were around uh, Paul F. Tompkins started out of Philadelphia it was just always wow he's a lot better uh, he's a lot better now than he was back then, or what do you mean? He was better? always better than ever. Uh, oh, he's a lot better guy. It, it, it was always you'd want it to be him, right? At, at certain, a lot of times, where <laughs> you would see Paul sometimes where he wouldn't go on stage for two, three months, and then he'd get up, and then it looked like he was on stage every day for four years. It would just change and be something different, you know. Like the first time I saw Dave Chappelle in D.C., where you went, I don't know whether this kid is fourteen or forty-nine. Uh, Wow, this is something. But then I got to see guys like Pat Oswalt, who was a Virginia guy who'd come down to Philadelphia. Nobody's worked harder in show business than Patton. Um, everybody was kind of the same, funny wise, but then you see these guys just out of nowhere. Patton just worked hard. Right. In fact, I got, that's part of when I got here and I stopped writing. I didn't know what I was going to do, so I sat on my couch for a month and tried to figure it out and um, just started, well, maybe I'll try writing, but I don't know how to do it. And I got very lucky where Patton brought me into the movie awards, and they did not want me at all. But Patton brought me in, not as a writing team, but recommended me, and then mostly he said, I'll just, I'll watch out for this guy. He didn't say it, but he was just, he just made sure I was okay. And 
I did, I actually ended up doing real well. Uh, at one point, the guy who was in charge of it fired me. And then uh, I don't know whether it was Stiller or somebody found out that I got fired. I think Stiller was hosting it. It might have been him, somebody else. Ben Stiller. Yeah, wanted to know, hey, where's that long hair guy? And uh, uh, he, he ran out of ideas. <laughs> and then uh, next day I was hired back on. Mm -hmm. So you ran out of ideas. <laughs> I guess I ran out. I didn't know I ran out of ideas. Um, but that was a real, that was my first job writing. And uh, award shows are fun. They're a great way to learn how to write mm -hmm. because you're never, ever comfortable. You could pitch eight ideas. Eight ideas are in the script. And four hours later, those eight ideas are all gone. Mm -hmm. right. No longer in the script. Wow, right? You were the hero. Now you're the worst writer in the room, and you feel horrible and right. you're panicking. But what you learn, you, but what, look at that. Just got to keep punching. And no, but nobody tells you that, do they? No, no. It's a, it's it it's very sink or swim, and there's no time to explain it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I, like even sketch shows. Like you'd find your friends who will work on sketch shows, and just the business would be. Uh, usually show business 13-week contracts for writers. Mm -hmm. So some guys would last one or two cycles, and then, the, yeah, they fired me out of nowhere. But you'd say, well, how many sketches you get on? Uh, half a one? Right. And But they said I was doing well. Right. Nobody wants to have that conversation with you. <laughs> Who wants to come up to somebody and go, you're doing horrible here? You know, as actors, I've been in the room once or twice where you've seen a table read for a show, and then they'll do like one in the morning and one in the afternoon, and then in the afternoon, there's a brand new actor there, and nobody talked to him. Right. You never got that. You never get the call in show business. You get a call from somebody that's getting money from you, 10% of your money to go, buddy, it's not working out. Nobody said that. They were hugging me and... <laughs> Giving me cheese baskets? But that might be the t person that's tapping you out. But, you know? You, you, you know, it's just, you're just not right for that. Right. And that's a huge thing to think, is you're just not right for that. That one thing. And that's the whole, that goes back to somebody banging their head, why am I not, why is this not, I should be, what, it's like, it's not that you're Look wrong. wider, like you were saying, look a little wider. Look wider, and look wider, and a huge part of it is also look at your feet. Where are you standing? Because where you're standing might be where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and, and, and that's huge. Um, I, I but what do you do? It's like the story of Nia with her. I mean, she doesn't talk about it as much, but she was, you know, working a little bit, doing voice work and kind of other stuff. But then she wrote uh, the play, One Person Show. Right. And, and she also, and by the way. And used the money from Mad TV. Let me back up. Yeah. Let's just back up for a second sure. to, to go, okay, it wasn't that she wrote it. It was that she kept crafting it and doing it and doing it. And yeah. I can't tell you how many times. And were you, were you there then? I don't know. No, when I what, got here was right after the movie was really doing what, well. But prior to that, she had everybody go to every, every, if she was doing it in, in a phone booth, which they used to have at that time, <laughs> if she was doing it in a phone booth, she'd go, I'm doing it in a phone booth. Would you come and see it? It's like, we'd all come to see it. And it would change a little bit, and it would change a little bit, yeah. and it would change a little bit. And sometimes it would change. We'd go, what the fuck happened to that bid? And she'd go, okay, fine, and she'd put it back <laughs> in. But it wasn't. it was one of those things where she just fucking kept doing it. Yeah. So going back, so you say, the, the Mad then TV. Then she invested uh, her own money into it. Right. The, a lot of the things she she did and continues to do, 
a lot of people wouldn't be willing to do. Right. Well, well, but it also goes back to she never stopped having. She, I don't, I don't, I think I wouldn't say she never stopped having faith in herself, but she also never stopped having fun with it. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it's like it's just fun. And another thing, going back to this, she knew that all of her friends were going to be at whatever show she's going it to helps. have. It helps. It definitely helps. I mean, this is a hard place if you're going to put up a show or do something. If you're not, I mean, UCB is the center of the universe kind of for everything. IO is always fun to see. There are a lot of really good places. But to build an audience in Los Angeles is really difficult to achieve. Right. Yeah, I don't know really how people do it. But I think maybe it's changed a little bit. Like as we're talking about these new guys in comedy, I think these new guys in comedy are fantastic. All these guys know how to act now they know how to shoot they know how to edit they know how to do effects they know how to build web pages and stuff they cho- they're choosing to do a lot of stuff that i know when i had a manager guy hey you should learn how to edit and i was outraged because i'm just always outraged if someone <laughs> tells me anything <laughs> that doesn't fit in line with exactly what i want to hear it, right um but it seemed kind of silly to me at the time but now, 10, 15 years later, you're going, maybe, but that still kind of isn't my skill set of, um, it's hard to make TV shows. You know, people think it's real easy, but the Who guy, thinks it's easy? Like, how would anybody think that making a TV show is easy? What's easy about well, it? Well, it's people that really don't know what they're talking about. But who would, where, where do you hear people? Why don't you just you, make something? Oh, it's always like, oh, hey, make something, put it up on the internet, right. and uh, right. you'll get a deal. Right. Or I, I also believe that there are some of us who are, uh, there are a lot of, I look at Larry Hankin. Do you know Larry Hankin? Yeah. So Larry Hankin is... Was started the committee. I mean, he was one of the main people at the committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry Hankin was a second city person. Larry Hankin did stand up in New York. Larry Hankin, uh, I mean, my God, he, you know, and he doesn't, a fucker doesn't stop working. But what he also <laughs> does is, uh, I mean, you look at him, you go, who's that street guy? You know, who's that bum? But you look at Larry, and Larry has not stopped filming, directing, editing, promoting. And I look at so many people who are of Larry's age, and they're, mm-hmm. they're, Larry's got to be close to 70, <clears throat> um, who are saying, well, the world has passed me by. And it's like, that's your fucking choice. Yeah. That's your choice to, yeah. to say that the world is passing you by. That, so I look, at, I look at what I'm doing and I'm going, okay, I have to enjoy editing this podcast. Yes. Because if I don't enjoy editing this podcast, it doesn't go out. <laughs> so that means I have to enjoy learning how to edit this podcast, yeah. which means I have to get the... I, I have everything I need already to do this. Yeah. It's never been easier in certain aspects of it. In theory, you could shoot stuff with a phone. Right. And just do it. You right. Can do, it's never been easier. I remember when four tracks came out what we're around the same age it was like high school, college, yeah, kind yeah, yeah. Of, and people going, "This is changing everything, right? You could do it at home." And you know, a lot of our friends all had garage bands, and we're doing a lot of stuff with it now. You can get with a laptop, you can get a four hundred track in your just in your just in your laptop. You can do garage anything band. you want to do, anything. Um, uh, uh, your book that you wrote. Yeah, um, it's you know I'm just and and, and and this isn't like now it's time to talk about your book. Well, what ended um, up happening? I just want to call it Matt a napkin, a daily comic on a napkin in a book. 
And uh, but to look at that, we go back to the idea of who the fuck would ever fucking think that you would have any of that. And what no. I mean by that is like I didn't know I could draw. Right. I never really drew before. Right. What ended up happening was uh, Rosie was going through chemo. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a tough Boy, time. I remember that. I remember you that. You were there after her surgery. Uh, Wasn't she also? You were two days or three days in. You were in the hospital room with her. We still weren't really sure That's what right. happened. She thought she had. I was working. <laughs> this was very odd. Uh, I was doing the show I Kid uh, with uh, Brad Garrett. It right. was him uh, doing the show. How and many episodes did you do? I, I think they did like 10. Mm-hmm. I, Dave Hurwitz, Joel, Mr. Hurwitz, rather. I'm not even going to give his first name. The greatest guy in the world who ran the show mm-hmm. uh, brought me in to work on it. And Brad was really fun. So um, we're shooting something. Rose said, I have a little stitch or something. I don't know. And I just hammered her. You need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the doctor. She goes in. They said, you might have some appendicitis, uh, appendix or something like that. You're going to need surgery. So I hear that. I'm on the headphones. I, and she goes, it might be something warm, maybe in the last, but I'm going shopping right afterwards. Jo- uh, she Rose said did. this, Rose said Yeah, uh-huh. I'm going shopping. She was looking for a, a, a jacket or something. I forget. So she, uh, I'm on the set. I had my headphones on. I just like, hey, I got to go. <laughs> I got to go. And Brad Garrett, wait, well, where are you leaving? What are you leaving for? I go, my wife's getting surgery. And Brad said the greatest thing, because people were very panicky around me when I said that. Brad went, you got a wife? I thought you were a fag. <laughs> I started laughing so hard. And you're going, what? Oh, yeah, well, I'm married to a dude, but I got a wife, too, of course. So, Rose, doctor said, do you mind if I have to uh, overoperate? Rose said, do whatever you need to do. Right. Uh, my buddy Crystal Lally, who you've met, yes. was there. We were in the emergency room for, I mean, the operating room. Uh, for two hours and nothing kind of happened and this is exactly how I remember it but I don't know whether it's true or not but I think it is the nurse came out and started yelling the doctor has changed the procedure things have increased the doctor changed the procedure so I just started thinking like why is she yelling at me and I looked down and there was Wink Martindale I know so I looked down at him and he looks up at me and he goes, it's going to be okay, buddy. And I go, all right. So then it goes two hours more. Uh, they roll Rosie out. The nurse grabs me and says, it's not good. And I just went, I don't know what not good to you is, this whole situation. She goes, um, what they pulled out of her, it's just not good what's going on now. So... <laughs> I just look and I don't really kind of know what to do. And Krista's there. Krista's there. We're in the elevator. The doctor grabs us and says, she's going to ask you what happened. They performed a surgery called a hemicolectomy from the top of the, the, uh, from the intestines, top of the intestines to your appendix. They cut that all off. So they knocked the whole thing off. So he's telling me this, and uh, we don't know what it is, but we took a mass out. So, but don't talk to her about it. She's on so much drugs now, it's like talking to a three-year-old. You will not be able to talk to her. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm on the elevator, we're both looking down, there's a mass out, this operating nurse is telling me, don't, don't, tell, her, uh, don't tell her what happened. So we go into the room, we're waiting for Rose, they wheel Rose in, Rose doesn't curse, really, ever. <clears throat> uh, which is funny, because I have a horrible, I am always cursing, so Rose comes in, She's waving her thumb, and she goes, what the fuck did they do to me in there? <laughs> I look, and I go, I, 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 I don't. So the nurse comes back in, the operating nurse. Again, she reminds me, this is not good. We're not, we're very concerned about this. So I'm freaked out. She goes, then she introduces herself, and she goes, they call me drug diva. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh-huh. So... She kind of opens up her jacket, and like a Robert Rodriguez movie, she's got needles all over the place. So she goes, Rose, how are you feeling? I feel a little bit of pain. And then she took a needle out and popped it in. Now you don't. And then Rose went through the four things that she was feeling, and then they just gave her four or five shots. Oh. So out of that, so then she said, hey, so what's going on? She, then she started knowing wait, wait, wait. that... Rose asked what's going on. Rose is asking what's right. going on. What <clears throat> happened to mm-hmm. me in there? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I look at Krista. She looks at me, and I go, well, Rose. And then she goes, wait, 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 wait. That's the nurse, Julia. I saw a picture of her dog on her phone. I'd love to put a hat on her dog. <laughs> and then she just went unconscious. <laughs> so I look at Krista, and I go... What, what do we do? So then she's out for 40 seconds, and then she wakes up again. What did they do to me in there? So then she starts asking questions, and then another nurse walks in. Another nurse walks in. I think she'd be good at that's a Danielle. I think she'd be good for Brian Bondell. Oh, she loves shoes as much as me. She suck, Johnny, show her my green ones that I have in the closet. I promised her I'd help get... Uh, and then she'd fall asleep again. So you're going, okay, I think... She's going to be okay, not talk to her. But I don't know what to do now. So I'm freaking out. Chris and I said, don't talk, but I don't know what to do. So then I just went out in my car, and of our friends, the only one I could think of, like, I can't call my parents. Not that I couldn't call my parents. It's normal who I would. But it just seemed like I-, I need somebody now who I can talk to. So I called Nia up, and I'm, like, crying in the car going, I don't know what to do with this. So I don't know She's whether I'm supposed to tell her. So she was at some big Hollywood thing. Uh, hold on for nine seconds. Like, I think she just pushed photographers or everything out of the way. And uh, she just gave me the advice of just, you know, kind of follow the advice. It's going to be okay. So it was crazy. So you're there. Like, it still seems like yesterday, boy. And uh, she was one of the first people to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And then she uh, introduced herself to um, all the nurses and just kind of let her know that this is one of my oldest friends. And it was weird because big fat Greek wedding, they all know it. And she just made sure that everything was going to be okay. Right. So then Dr. Peterman shows up and Rose is still crazy. So he gets the results. And goes, yeah, it's, wow, look at this, as he's flipping through the stuff. And he goes, huh, it's cancer. <laughs> so we start 
kind of laughing a little bit. And Nia's there. Nia's not there. It's just me and Rosie. Got it. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing, our friend uh, Christine, she really wanted to know what was going on, and we just went, the doctor's coming in. Please don't call so we can hear this. Christine called up every 14 seconds. So the phone's ringing. So then Biederman did exactly the right surgery that he was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. He saved Rosie's life. Because if they have to open you up a second time, that's when it gets bad. Cancer can't have uh, oxygen. Right. It just can't. So he tells Rosie (laughs) she has cancer. We really kind of don't know what to do. Then Rosie demands that he gets on the phone and talks to her mother. (laughs) Rosie still doesn't know where she is. Biederman, we didn't know it. He's a surgeon. He gets stuff done. In the beginning, his bedside manner wasn't always the warmest, but that's not what you want right right then. You have family for that. You have other people for that. He's there to get you through this and make sure he made all. That's what he was telling Rose when he said, hey, do you mind if I overoperate? Some people would say no. So what Rose had was appendix cancer. Wow. Which is uh, normally 100% fatal because there's no way to really test for it. It just happens. Right. So, so then we start going through everything. You, you freak out. You don't really know what you're going to do. You start going through the chemo and stuff. Uh, and she she had, did not want to go through chemo. And she had a very... She had a, she, her chemo would seem different than other chemo. It was called oxaloplatinum. Right. So that's the other thing they don't tell you, is once you have it, it's a year. Right. It's a year. And it's something, too, as someone who occasionally <clears throat> does not like a person... I would not wish this on someone I dislike more than anybody. Right. It's just brutal. Well, to to watch to watch her go what she was going to watch her go what she was going through. Yeah. And here's another thing where it's like everybody was just there for her. Whatever the people fuck you everybody needed, showed up. Was everybody there. couldn't have been better. Like I said, you guys were in the room day three. I remember right. it was you, Susie, Re- Susie Nakamura, Renee Albert, my buddy Craig Doyle, his right. wife. Because we were in Wood. Yeah, Woodland Hills. Or yeah, something. we're in Woodland Hills, which was the motion picture retirement place. Right. So there were no other people in that place it was other a weird than Rose. Place. So it was crazy. So as we were going in the biggest windup ever, as we were going through this and dealing with all the chemo stuff, and then you're always getting new medications all the time. So as I was going out, uh, I just one day uh, I went to a subway, and. Um, a mother put her kid up on the uh, counter, and then she ordered a big sandwich, and then she goes, hey, before you make my son's sandwich, and the kid's maybe three, maybe three, two and a half, three, can he try the meats before you put them in there? And I'm behind watching this, and I love bad behavior. So I'm going to go, this is going to be fantastic. <laughs> so this woman, he goes, well, I got the turkey first. So the sandwich artist just, I look at him, he looks at me. He hands the, the mother a piece of turkey. She puts it in her child's mouth. The child goes, eh. She goes, he doesn't like turkey. How about we try the ham? Oh, no. Oh, no. Then he did. He doesn't like ham. But then they went through about nine meats. 
When he liked the meat, it wasn't a lot different than when he hated the meat. <laughs> oh, he likes, he likes the, uh, the other cured ham better. So as this is happening, I just start drawing a picture of it because mm-hmm. I'm so delighted by it. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen, ever, and I've seen puppies being bored. It was the greatest. <laughs> so then I go home, and then I show it to Rose. Rose laughs. So then the next day, i got to go out for more stuff. I draw something else on napkin again, and then also to on a napkin you, that you just, that you got at you a got. fast food place right. or uh-huh. wherever you're going because right. you just don't want to wait in a pharmacy for 11 hours, or you're constantly picking up. If Rose gets an MRI, you have to pick up these discs and deliver them yourself because if you let the system kind of do it, they get a delivery guy. It turns into two weeks. Right. So now it becomes your full time job doing this mm-hmm. of. And then getting up at 6 o'clock and setting up appointments and stuff. Right. Meeting your doctors, making sure that when a doctor might leave too quickly from a room, that you know where to cut him off in the back stairwell. Right. To get stuff. There's a lot of stuff that you learn. So of these things, I was always someplace. So then I would draw another napkin and then show it to Rose. And then, like everything in our relationship with Rose, I eventually wear her out to where she just went, Johnny, please show these to other people. Mm. So then I just started posting them on the web. Right. And then, oddly enough, people started following it. It was called Matt and Napkin. Right. Real, and then, at some point, Fast Company did an article on it. Right. And a uh, great writer, uh, guy Joe Berkowitz, uh, who, you, who you knew before. No, I didn't know him uh-huh, before. He uh-huh. just saw that it was on the web. I think he was pals with my buddy Kevin Session. He just liked it. Uh, Evan Gord, Boing Boing, and then like the New Zealand Herald, and all these people were doing things about it. And then I just kept doing it. So I've done it over 1,015 of them I've drawn in over four years. So I was doing a napkin every day. Um, and you would store them, you would just put them... In draw a, them on a napkin and then scan them and then I've got, got them all in a big box. And when and so this book is of the scanned images. So I did 30 new ones for the book. Uh-huh. And then Eric Stone Street, Martin Short, our good pal Nia, Jeff Garland were nice enough to give me quotes. So it's going to be ready for this Christmas. So, but it was this company, Odd Charm Press, is doing the publishing, but Rose edited Laid, it, uh, laid out was this uh, great gal, uh, Eva Crawford, who did it. So pretty much it's all done by me. Right. Um, and It's uh, so interesting to me how it's all, like, like getting, that would not have happened. If something rough didn't happen. Right. Yeah. So and it's like five years later, and, or four and a half years or something. And that was the crazy thing. Uh Rose was on a show called Parenthood. Right. So the year anniversary, right. like people don't know that Rose did that Barbara Streisand movie with Seth Rogen in between chemo four and five. So Rose didn't lose her hair, but she has a thing called neuropathy where it's your hands and feet. Uh, it's just horrible pain all the time from like Rosie can't touch anything cold anymore. It's changed how she's completely eaten right. and stuff. It, chemo kills everything. Right. Chemo kills everything. And then to Rose, she was so ridiculous during it, which was like we would laugh about so many different things. But there were times where she was hospitalized two, three times. One where she was demanding she had to get on the plane to go see her sister. And I said, Rose, and our, our oncologist, 
great guy. And then he just said, Rose, you know there are two heads of infectious diseases here. <laughs> they kept demanding that Rose took a flight from, from Dubai or something because there were, you know, a couple different times that she could have died. Right. And, right. Uh, and Rose just never – Rose went from chemo to – and that was the other thing. All our friends showed up at different times during the chemo or any time we needed them. And she got a gift every day. And that was one of the reasons that she she wasn't going to do chemo. And then her feeling was that uh, everybody <laughs> would say that's that's why it happened. Because in theory, they, they cut off enough, hopefully, that it would be okay. But it's like pulling out weeds. Right. Uh, if you pull out uh, weeds, they're going to grow again. Right. So you have to do it. So like I said, Rose did that in between chemos, did a Barbara Streisand movie. And then on the year anniversary, she ended up doing the uh, show Parenthood, right. where she played a woman dying of chemo. Did they know that? Not at the time. Uh, but then I think... Uh, Lauren Graham was on the show too who Rose knew from Gilmore Girls mm-hmm. so people it was a weird thing where it kind of like maybe the casting people but they didn't tell and then they did an article in the Huffington Post about what you might not know about Rose um, and then they talked about how she had this thing and the crazy uh, Rose's there's a good friend of Rose's now who uh, through parenthood got a hold of Rose and she had the same exact thing nobody has what Rose has and of the two people that Rose knows, one passed away, and the other person is still going through a lot of challenges and is still knee-deep where she's had to go through a couple different chemos. Mm-hmm. I really think that five-year thing that they talk about is I don't just, know what the five-year thing is. Well, it's, it, once you make it through the five-year marker, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's mostly something to uh, just put your hat on to keep right. you thinking it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rose isn't the... You know, it was tough, but, and she died at the end of it. Her character. Yeah. Right. So that was tough, because I went with her for that. I don't normally go to work with Rose, but they did the makeup, and I saw it, and I went, and I just lost it. And I can't, I, I don't know why I'm blanking on the lead of uh, the scene that she did of, um, of Parenthood. Uh, I'll think of her name in two seconds. She's the loveliest person in the world. But, you know... You, you got to see that weird thing. I could have gone left her and I could have gone right. Mm. And that was crazy to see her going through that again. Uh, Fic- but, fictionally. Yeah. That was, a, that was a really tough one, too, where you just... Because it doesn't... It's, it's like anything in life when you have something that difficult. You can't deal with it right away. You know, I, after a year... After it ended after a year, didn't end... We got out of the chemo and the oxaloplatinum, these pills. She got like a chemo burn in her intestines from the pills. They give you the most chemo they can give you until you almost die. That's what they try to do. They that's want to give they you the re- most. That's how they, they, try me- to they get measure you. it out. Yeah, and it's pretty much a boilerplate. So they treated her like she had, because of insurance stuff, it was treated like it was colon cancer a little bit. And it's something to go to the Disney Cancer Center as Rose called it, the unhappiest place on the planet. <laughs> but even the, uh, you see the woman who's at the desk there at the Disney Cancer Center. She sees people come in at the worst and the best. So she sees people come in the first time and at the end, and you see people at different 
parts of how they're going through it. And then you'd meet some people that have been going through chemo for like 13 years and something like that. And you're going, how are you able to do this? I think it's interesting when I think about all of our, going back to all of our friends. This is such a weird thing to say. How many women do we know that have cancer, that had cancer? A lot more than you know. And here's another In thing. In our group, three. At least three. Yeah. The, the pure numbers are... But I'm, I'm looking at this... I'm looking at this going, uh, I'm going to say it, it's happened only to the women. Yeah, we get it a little bit later. Right. But there are a couple of comedian peers of ours or comedy peers of ours that are going through it right now. Mm -hmm. So it's strange to watch our friends when you see someone who's going through something rough and them not still making it about themselves. I, I can't, this is creeping me out to look at. Well... As we get older and when we live in a society where there are people are able to have cancer, they're going to have a year or two rough, just, just go give them a hug. Right. You know? And it's, that was a good thing about our group of friends and most of the people that I know. No one made it about themselves and their own fears. And of course we got calls with people that would say, so what did Rose do to make sure that I don't get this? Oh, no. Was it, was it the licorettes? Because she likes those licorettes. So you'd get that. And it's just people talking out of fear. Right. So you do get a little bit more, I found myself getting a little bit more compassionate for other people. You leave the Disney Center parking lot, someone won't leave a parking spot. You don't start beeping your horn and going, will you move and get out of here? <laughs> they might just, the reason they're sitting on the side of their car with the door open is they just got the roughest news in their life. So I think that, in areas of that, I've gotten a little bit cooler. Um, in other areas, I learned to, like even with doctors, they're just people. Right. They make mistakes. And a lot of mistakes are made. But now it's made. Now what do you do? That's the whole thing. It's like now it's made. What do you do? It's the past and the future. Can't right. control neither. What are you going to take care of right now? Right. And how are we going to just kind of get, like Rose was sent home once with a 104 temperature from the emergency room. And our oncologist heard, and what, what do they do? That's the other thing. Nobody can actually say anyone did. They're not like dentists. Dentists will look in your mouth and, and go, what the hell did that guy do to you? <laughs> dentists always badmouth each other. Always. Did that guy use his elbow to do this filling? They say the horror. He had his dick in your mouth, didn't they, when he was doing this? They say the worst things to each other, uh, about each other. Doctors never do. Right. So part of this is figuring out when a mistake was made, how do we fix this? And like, that's it. Yeah, like there were times where I would go right into, I remember once we were supposed to go for over Easter, Rosie had to get this infusion or something and they couldn't find a hospital room. The trick I could give anyone is never go into another room with anybody. What does that mean? So I'm in the waiting room. They're saying, sorry, we don't have a room. I, and I just said, well, we're going to, number one, you're going to find a room. And number two, you're going to adjust this bill accordingly. Mr. Maddock, can you step in another room? No, we're going to do that in this room here. Why is it they, they want you to step in another room? Why? You have to shame people because they want to keep you quiet. Got it. And they don't want other people to know what's kind of going on. Right. I found sometimes with the healthcare, the, one of the things I didn't care, and we were very lucky with our doctors that we had. Whenever you turn it into money, they turn it into healthcare. Whenever you turn to health, well, it costs money, Mister. You're going like, 
so that was sometimes you just have to be really loud and you have to be um what do, you, what do they call that term where you get somebody to uh, be proactive for you? Your own. Um, uh, uh, I would say proxy, but I don't know. Yeah, but, but I, one of those things. You, so it was a it was a tough uh, one. You're, 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 you're not confederate. You have to be your own. Like you get a nurse person who takes care. Your advocate. Exactly. You have to be your own advocate right. in anything kind of health related, particularly something as tough as this. So even today, you know, Rosie gets calls from people. You know, to ask for stuff, I get calls from occasionally from husbands and wives going like, "How do I deal with this? What can I do?" And normally they call you when they're drunk, <laughs> because you do want to get drunk after you hear something. You know, first thing you can't be drunk, and <laughs> and you don't want to frighten people either. You know, you can't really. You just it's going to be difficult, but and you give them a couple tips that you have about stuff, but you, who the hell wants to hear this is going to be a year of the worst thing in your life? Like even today, Rose, you know, she could walk up and because the oxyplatinum, I remember after Ian's birthday, I think it was last year, she just fell forward, her feet, she just can't feel them. Was this in, uh, it, after he went to Vegas? No, I think it was his last birthday or something like that, and that was weird. She fell hard and just fell right on her face, and uh, I reacted by going, oh my God! <laughs> And uh, I was so disappointed in myself. I didn't catch her. I didn't dive on the ground. Right. You acted like a. And then all I did was look at the ground. Yeah, like an, uh, a lady jumping on a stool, holding my skirt up. A mouse, a Victorian lady. All I do is looked at her, and then I just I think a blood pool is going to come underneath her face. So all you can do is just start. So I mean, she still has a lot of that stuff, and I mean that's not somebody who wants to hear that's going to go through this. Right. It's just kind of what it is. So she deals with this still kind of every day. And and partly, like I said, any kind of big thing in this life, when she died on the show, she had not really dealt with a lot. Rosie went right from chemo to Ross with her friend Krista. Krista, she just kept doing everything as she was Ross doing. Ross dressed for less. Yeah, she didn't change anything in her life until she dropped so Rose, that's how Rose, like even through when she was going through chemo, friends would show up and Rose would just talk to Krista or Nia or Tracy or any of the gals that showed up or anybody, you, you know, they would just chat and they would, so, so many people would come in at times, people would say, is this your birthday? <laughs> no, I'm just popular. Other people just would have been on their back the whole time. Was it the best thing to do? No. Was it the best thing for Rose? Absolutely. It was the only thing for Rose. Yeah. I mean, she did what Rose did. And then Rose, the thing that she did, too, was Rose had just gotten on Facebook. I was there for four days. I had to go pick up her car. There being? The hospital. Uh When she got the the hospital room you were in. Yes. We were there for three, four days, and she had parked her car somewhere in Krista Drover, so I was there for four days. So I had to go pick up her car and go home and try and pick up some stuff for her. And I look online... She posted a picture of a banana and her hospital badge and said something about leaving the hospital, or I forget what she wrote. Um, my buddy Ken Daly got a hold of me, and he goes, I think Rose just left the hospital. Rose, in a drug-induced thing, somehow took her badge off, took a picture with a banana. I don't know where she got a banana from and wrote something, and then upped it on Facebook. I never... She never knew how to use Facebook. 
I don't think she ever knew how to use the phone on her camera. So then I run back and I'm, oh my God, you're still here. Thank God. <laughs> and then, so I didn't know what to do. So when we walked in, they were, they were selling some jewelry there. So I bought a piece of jewelry for her. Lo, Rose loves jewelry. Yes, she does. Um, I bought her a thing. I gave it to the nurse and I said, tell her it's from her surgeon. <laughs> so then she got it. Oh, Dr. Peter. So she loved it. So I walked in. She goes, look what Dr. B, <laughs> Dr. B, Johnny. And I go, she goes, where did you get it? I said, out there, there's a woman who was a Miss Ireland uh, who has a little card table set up with her old jewelry and she's selling it. And, she, and Rose said, did you get me the best one? Uh, usually she calls me Johnny or John Matta, which I think yes. is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. John Matta. Yeah. I'm, Susie Nakamura once said, you know you're married to him now. I mean, I always think of her as Rose Abdu. She's Rose Abdu. Yeah, was, she's she going to be Rose Matta? Right. I don't know. But her, was, there's her, trouble. Her, isn't her email name something like? I think when she was doing business stuff, she'll use Matta occasionally yeah. when yeah. she doesn't. But, oh, so then she said, is this the best piece of jewelry? And Rose is very uh, private. Like, Rose would getting dressed at stuff. She, if there's a show business thing, she will not get dressed in front of other people. She's a lady. Right. Rose will go into another she's a room. Lady. So Rose said, wait, the lady's got more jewelry? Rose has four poles. Uh, With all these medications. Yeah, a big, huge scar. She got up out of the bed, somehow found her money, uh, put it underneath her arm, because I don't even know whether she, she had undergarments on. She, I know she had the robe. She put one in the back and one on the front and just started walking. I think it was the second time that she walked. And she went through every piece of jewelry that this woman had and then said, you got the best one, Johnny. And then pretty much she passed out for about seven hours. But she would constantly do stuff like that. Which So she that's the thing is I'm very lucky. I think if you're lucky enough to find someone who can both, that um, can make you laugh every day, uh, who you can shut up around. And you just don't have to talk all the time, you know. She'll just, hey, we're not talking. But then I panic of when. Because I always assume I've done something wrong. Right. You know? I understand We always that. do something yeah, wrong. Yeah, it's like, um, she's thinking about what I just, <laughs> oh my God, I did something wrong. It goes back to uh, what we were talking about originally, like the idea of being an adult. Where it's like, oh. We are one. Right. That's the weird thing. We right. are one. We are one. Like we're talking, like drawing, you doing the podcast. Of right. Going, I don't know whether I can do that. We don't need anyone's permission. You can just do things if you want to. And you don't need to also, that's the other thing, you don't need to be the best at things. And maybe back to like you were talking about acting, maybe it was mostly it doesn't give me pleasure, but I just felt, I just feel, wow, you're so much, to our friends, you're so much, you should be doing this. I'm not going to give you what you need. I'll be the loud guy, but I'm not going to do what my friend is going to who's trained for 20 years at Second City or Groundlings like my buddy Jordan Mike. You're not going to do – you're going to be the loud guy, and then you're going to do five cool things. Right. That you're not even going to notice because it's 20 years – that's what acting is. So – That's what living your life is also going back to everything that you just described with Rose and, and the book and the friendship and – people coming in and the lessons that we don't know that we're getting from yeah. the fucking situations that are horrible situations. Yeah. But the 
what is it that comes from that as well to say, yeah, I'm banging my head against the wall because I want to have this job, but then you don't get that job, but then it leads you towards something else. Even better and more enriching and more fun for you. And and something that you don't even know that you've been planning on, that you've been, that you've been working toward yeah. building, toward building a skill set toward that, and you don't realize it. At all. But being open to learn from that stuff. Absolutely. Not being so closed off that everything's shitty. Of course, everything can be shitty. It's very, it's so easy to do. I find that for me, it's just lazy. For me, it's like, it's a very lazy thing for me to do to hate everything. Right. It's just right. easy. And then oh, I is. think it was the Roger Ebert thing of like, wouldn't you rather be defined by what you love than what you hate? It's just more fun. And that's, that's and then like you're saying, your friends, these are the kind of people I want to be around. So this is the kind of life that I want to have. And you're allowed to make that decision. You're allowed to do it. Let's end there. Okay. That was awesome. Nicely done, sir. The quote that got me in this interview with John was about friends and living the life. He said, these are the kinds of people I want to be around. So this is the kind of life I want to have. We're allowed to make that decision. You're allowed to do it. Thank you, John Matta. ADD Comedy with Jay Rosaski. Also, thanks Laura Parker, my co-producer. My dear friend, musician extraordinaire, Al Rose, for our theme song, I Feel Like a Million Dollars from Al's album, Sad Go Lucky. And we thank you, our listeners. If you liked our show, give us a positive note on iTunes, won't you? If you're interested in having me at your theater, your improv school, your corporate event, your haircut, please drop me a line at dave at addcomedy.com. Thanks, and we'll hear you in our ears.